This podcast is brought to you by the Empower Her program, a 12-week gut and hormone restoration program. If you are suffering from chronic digestive and menstrual cycle issues, this may be the program for you. Go to www.sophieandkyleen.com forward slash empower her to join the waitlist. Welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast, your source for information about all things women's hormonal health. I'm your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm the founder of She Talks Health and the co-creator of the 12-week Empower Her group gut and hormone program. I'm a certified functional health coach and a holistic menstrual health educator. This podcast was created to give you clarity about how to take control over your hormonal health using safer, natural options. I created this podcast to cover the widespread and complex health issues plaguing women today. From the rise of infertility to the epidemically high numbers of women with autoimmune disease to menstrual cycle problems, digestive issues, anxiety, weight gain, food sensitivities, mental, emotional, and energetic imbalances, and so much more. If there's a topic that you need answered, I encourage you to write us at podcast at shetalkshealth.com and we will try our absolute best to cover that subject. My greatest mission in life is to help women radically change their health and their lives by teaching them how they can use their hormones as their superpowers. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, ladies, to the She Talks Health Podcast. This is your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm a women's menstrual health educator and a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. And I am so, so blessed to be joined by two of the three co-founders of VDOT, Lauren Cornegay and Samantha Denae. They are also the founders of Endo Educator and Endo Black. They have a lot going on to represent women of color, dealing with endometriosis. Now, if you are a longtime follower of the She Talks Health podcast, you know that I interviewed Dr. Jessica Drummond last season uh, about endometriosis, what it is, what it feels like, what women can do to get diagnosed, and what people can do for a holistic approach. So today we're going to dive right back in, and we're going to be hearing from Lauren and Samantha about their own journeys and how this is different for women of color and what women of color and women worldwide can do about endometriosis. So welcome to the She Talks Health podcast, Samantha and Lauren. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm so excited. So I'd love to just jump in. You guys both, I've heard you both speak about your stories of, you know, coming to a diagnosis and what you've both been able to do with your platforms is incredible. Would either of you feel free to start and just let us know what this has been like for you? Like, what were you doing in your life when all this kind of came to fruition? I'll start. Um, and that's Samantha. <laughs> yes. So my endo journey, whew, it was a rough, it was a rough way. <laughs> I, um, I started my cycle at 12, always debilitating, always um, painful. Couldn't go to school for the first couple of days. Um, then eventually couldn't go to school or work for the first couple of days. And it seemed as though as I got older, my period would get worse and worse, um, a lot heavier, a lot more clotting, a lot more um, nausea experiences. It just seemed like everything was getting worse. And I didn't have any answers outside of I just had a bad period. 
And as I get older, it should get easier. Or, you know, when you have a child, it should get easier. And I, like any other person with a terrible period, you know, kind of leaned on medication, pain medications to help with my pain during my cycles. And nothing was working for me. Tried codeine (laughs) and knew nothing about narcotics and almost overdosed. And that was how I found out what endometriosis is and possibly if I had it. Um, I saw a physician in Valdosta. That's where I was going to school at the time. And he gave me a pamphlet, asked me three questions. Um, Do you have a debilitating period? Do you have painful sex? And do you have issues with going to the bathroom? And I answered yes to all three. And he said, I think you have endometriosis. Gave me a pamphlet, told me to read up on it. You can't, you know, have a diet. You can't get diagnosed with endometriosis without having a surgery. So I needed to make sure that I was ready for that. I was getting ready to graduate. And I knew because I had six weeks left of school, I couldn't get surgery, you know, right then and there because I wanted to walk, you know, and finish, you know, finish the term out. So I waited, I guess, about two to three months. At the same time, I had an ovarian cyst that was growing on my ovaries and they were about to rupture. So I needed surgery, you know, regardless. And when I had the surgery for the ovarian cyst removal, that's when I found out I had endometriosis and it was stage one. And at that point, I was happy because I finally had, you know, an answer as to why my period was so bad. But I now had to start, I feel like, a new life because now I have a condition that doesn't have a cure. I'm going to always have to have a period because, you know, you can't get through that. (laughs) So now I have to figure out, you know, how am I supposed to live with a debilitating period and be an adult and do adult things like have a job and not worry about calling out of work all the time because, you know, I have a bad period. Who's going to let you off work for that? So going through the motions of trying to reconstruct my life around endometriosis was hard. Um, I was I was depressed for a while, tried different birth control treatments to stop the tissue growth. Tried the Lupron Defo, which is a chemotherapy treatment that they offer. Um, They didn't really work. I had a 90-day period for nine months out of the year for five years. Oh, my gosh. And nobody was putting together that it was the birth control that was causing the endometriosis to grow at such a rapid rate. So for me, it was counterproductive. But that led me to, you know, my advocacy work. It led me to wanting to teach children about endometriosis and period health care. And about how to advocate for themselves when they're talking to their doctors about their issues, because that was half the battle with getting diagnosed with endometriosis is talking to physicians about my issues and really making them understand that I don't have a normal period and something is really wrong. A period shouldn't feel like this. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, my goodness, Samantha, thank you so much for being so real. I'd like to keep it real here on the podcast. And you just really beautifully told such a heartbreaking story to me to hear like how you had to re-engineer your entire life around your endo. And that's the that's the story that we need to be telling people about endometriosis. This isn't just a bad period. This is completely disrupting women's lives. And that story that you said about like they gave you a pamphlet and kind of told you to, you know, figure, figure things out. That's like something I hear all the time from endo clients. And so 
Um, and I, and I also had an ovarian cyst that first and I was hospitalized for that. And that pain was so painful that I can't even imagine how, how women with endometriosis, like make it through anything. Um, you know, so thank you. Thank you for sharing all of those things and being such an advocate for young women too. That's, that's a huge thing. We're not taught any of this, right? Isn't that crazy how we're not taught that? I don't understand. We're taught about everything else. We're taught about STDs and we're taught about abstinence. Yeah. Abstinence and sex education. And we don't talk about anything that has to do with a period. Most women, most young ladies don't even know when you have your period, now you can become pregnant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned birth control, you know, that's like, that's, you know, handed out like candy. I was on birth controls from age 15. Um, And the thing that really frustrates me about that with young girls is that they're not taught that, you know, our hormones take a few years to balance themselves out. And if you're taking birth control, it's just flatlining your hormones. And as much as hormones can get out of control and be this hindrance, they can also be this huge superpower if we know how to work with them. So I think it's a way of silencing women, honestly. Um, and that's not to say that I'm anti-birth control if that's what you need to do, especially in the endo community. Some women, that's all they can do to to really feel better. It's just like I want women to be educated on all the pros and cons. So, yeah. Okay. I think that that's a um, beneficial part. I think me and Samantha, well, let me say this. Every time I hear Samantha's story, I still feel chills. This is not the first time, this is the second time. I'm just over here shaking my head like, yeah, that's, you know, because we hear stories like that way, way, way too often. And even though, you know, my own story is is similar but different from her, it's still an experience that happened. Um, And a lot of times, like you mentioned already, that um, birth control is the first thing people say. And they don't give us all of the facts from the beginning. It's just like, hey, birth control, take this. This is something that will be beneficial to you period. And they just move on. They don't say, Hey, look at this. This is your option. Um, these are what may happen or even different types of birth control. They just kind of just push one birth control on you and go with that option. So it's kind of scary. And I don't think children are able to make those, um, decisions at such a young age. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is a little bit more philosophical. I've thought about this a lot. Like, you know, moms, they, they're also not educated on birth control and they just want their child to not be in pain. Right. So I think about that with my mom, right? Like she saw I was having a a painful period. She just wanted me to feel okay. And that was the option that was presented. Um, and we are constantly in this battle of trying to like get ourselves out of pain. Um, and, and I think that that's valid. And I also think that they're like, especially in the beginning part of a woman's menstrual cycle, it needs a little bit of time to work itself out and then see like what, what, what options might be available. So I, yeah, I really hear you. And Lauren, we haven't heard from you yet about your story. And I know that's also a doozy. Would you mind sharing with us how you got to your diagnosis? Um, not a problem. Yes. Um, so as I stated, my story is a little different, but similar to Samantha's. I was diagnosed on March 18, 2011. Uh, However, I started my cycle, I remember it literally like it was yesterday. I started my cycle literally going into the age of 13, um, the week before my 13th birthday. And I remember being scared to tell my mom because I felt like I had did something wrong. Because 
for some African American people, periods are looked on as, oh, uh, uh-uh, I don't, you know, I'm not ready for my daughter to be on her cycle. I'm not. That's a big step. Like that's something that's looked at as, I don't want to say bad, but bad. They just don't want to deal with it, you know. So it it kind of throws it off. So I was very nervous about telling my mom because I felt like I had did something wrong. Um, we dealt with the situation. I remember being in high school and having my cycle and being in such pain to the point my mom would cut up um, a piece of Percocet, mash it up and put it in my applesauce so that I could actually have a moment of relaxation. Um, I would be crawled up in a ball in my bed or on my mom's bed or on the floor somewhere. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't even know that that was wrong. I didn't know that that was a problem. I thought that was normal. Um, we're taught that we should not talk about our cycles because it's not ladylike to talk about your cycle. Um, so Too it bad. Was- we're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it didn't give me an opportunity to talk to my female friends at school about what their cycles were and how they may have been in pain or how they weren't in pain. Um so I didn't have a a real inkling of what was going on until I got to college at Morgan State. I wanted to stay in Baltimore to go to a new gynecologist. So I had a family doctor. Um, and I remember, you know, never had a, having a pap smear by my family doctor. But I went to um, Dr. Maria Kay in Baltimore, Maryland. She's like on Hartford Road family practice, very sweet lady, saw her, went, and within literally two minutes, she was like, oh, you probably have endometriosis, just like that. Um, I told her my symptoms that I had pain in my left knee before my cycle, pain in my right knee after my cycle. I had sharp pains in my back. I had sharp pains in my abdomen. Um, She also was able to do a pap smear on me, and she discovered that I had a reverted uterus, which was something that I never known. Um, She said that reverted uteruses are sometimes symptoms of people that have endometriosis. So it kind of put things in a different perspective. I still, you know, I still didn't know what endometriosis was, but she was, you know, saying, hey, well, we're going to have to set up a surgery so we can figure out what's going on with you because the pain that you're in, you should not be in. Um, so I had some other things happen in college for me that led me to that point. But after I had the surgery, I was diagnosed with endometriosis again. Um, Samantha's lucky she got the pamphlet. I never received the pamphlet about endometriosis. However, once I was diagnosed, I just thought it was another stepping stone and I was off to live my regular life back to what I was doing before, not realizing that this was a lifelong journey that I had to begin on. Um, So with that being said, I ended up going back into the hospital with the ovarian cyst that had ruptured um, on August the 28th of 2011, when I thought I was trying to be the healthiest person. I was jogging around the neighborhood. I was eating healthy. And me jogging actually caused the rupture to happen. And it's like, that kind of scarred me because here I am trying to be healthy and I just caused something worse to my body than what I could have ever predicted. Um, So my friend, she took me to the hospital. I, well, let me stop because people forget how serious it is to make sure that you go to the doctors um, when you figure out something is wrong because your body will tell you and you will ignore it and you'll end up in a really bad situation. So 
it was crazy because I had went to um, take a shower right after I ran around the block. Uh, took a shower. I didn't feel well. I felt out of breath. I didn't understand why I was out of breath, but that was because the cyst had ruptured. Um, I'm in the shower, taking the shower, and the lights in the shower start to get dark. And I'm thinking, oh, the bulb is out. <laughs> Something's wrong with the bulb in the bathroom. Nope. I um, realizing that it's me. So I turn off the water. I wrap myself up in the towel, and I start walking to my room. I don't know what happened, but I know that when I opened my eyes, I was looking up at the ceiling from the floor because I had passed out before I had gotten to my bedroom to go to sleep or to lay down. I have no idea how long I was laying on the ground for, um, but I just got up. You know, that was the first sign. Um, the second sign is, you know, when I tried to uh, still live a regular life, I did go to my family uh, doctor, and this is back when I was at home after I had graduated from Morgan State University. So I was back in, you know, the family area. So I went to the family doctor. She told me if you, you know, pass out again, go to the hospital, of course. So that, that was easy. <laughs> um, so I went to my friend's house to just, you know, relax. And I went to use the restroom. And after using the restroom, I came out of the bathroom and I literally fell, well, passed out and missed the corner of a wall by two inches. My head oh missed the wall by two inches. And I passed out and I scared my friends. So I realized that tomorrow I'm going to go to the hospital because how do I explain this to my friends? Um, and then I had my friend drive me to the hospital. And then that's when I started realizing that I was using the restroom and it was causing me to pass out because this was an ovarian cyst that had ruptured and it's on my bladder. So all of this stuff is triggering and I get to the hospital. I use the restroom to do the um, urine sample. And I, you know, it's like a light bulb. I tell the nurse, ma'am, I'm about to fall out. You know, I need to sit down, put me in a wheelchair. Um, I can't walk. She's like, yes, you can walk. Come on, let's keep walking. I was like, I cannot walk. I need to sit down immediately because I'm about to pass out. She was like, don't pass out. Hold on. And I was like, I can't. And I ended up passing out. And it was a very dramatic pass out. Um, my friend, she was scared. She said my legs looked like noodles just falling from underneath me. And I really felt, I don't know what it was, but it was in, I was in more pain than I was originally. Like I had sharp pain. So I think it was basically saying like, whatever is wrong, you need to figure out what's wrong now so you can fix it. Um, so that was my experience. Um, after that, I started to take it a little bit more serious and realized that uh, this is a lifelong journey. I need to prepare myself for, I need to pay attention to what I'm eating. Um, and then I reached out to women like Samantha and April, you know, we were able to connect and trade information and tips and, um, so many things that were helpful to me. So we're here now. Okay. <laughs> Lauren, holy moly, you guys have incredible stories and, I mean, no one can see my face because this is an audio recording, but I basically had my hand over my mouth this entire time you guys were speaking because even though I've heard it before and even though I hear this stuff in my practice all the time from women, it's just never ending how shocking that is. And I can totally relate to that, um, the passing out, because I remember when I got hospitalized for the ovarian cyst that burst, they were like, you have to stay here in the hospital because you could bleed out and pass out and like we need to monitor you and then they proceeded to tell me that was completely normal and that I should go back on birth control so it's like 
how is passing out and being in this much pain normal? Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you said a few things that I want to dive into. The first one, and I think this could really help women who are experiencing this right now, is the isolation that you felt and that then once you realize that this was something that was lifelong, being able to find people who could relate to this and and go through this with you, because I, as as Samantha said, this is not a diagnose. Like there's no there's you can be diagnosed through unfortunately through surgery through laparoscopy, but there's no cure right now. There's things we can do to support, but there's no cure. So one of the best things that I've learned for um, women going through endometriosis is community. And I know you guys both have a lot of communities. So could you share some of the resources that you found really helpful um, when you maybe were feeling more isolated with this disease? Um, to be honest, when I first was diagnosed with endometriosis, I there weren't any resources, unfortunately. Um, I had to do a lot of reading. I had to do a lot of uh, searching and support groups. And even in support groups, I was a little shaken up because I didn't think it was enough resources and I didn't feel like it was very supportive. Um, So I created Indo Black, which led me to connecting with a lot of other organizations. Of course, you have um, Samantha, uh, you have April with the Indo Brunch, Indo Education, Educator. Um, you also have Endoqueer, which is a new organization that Les Henderson is taking up. Um, you have the Endo Code, you have EFA, you have Endo Summit. Um, now that we are, or that I am on this platform, and now that we are a little bit further along, I can say that there are tons of resources that are beneficial and are helpful. Um, Even products that I would say that are really helpful as well. Um, But when I first started my journey, it was literally like nothing in sight. That's scary. I, I, oh my gosh, I can, I can relate to that too with Hashimoto's like 10 years ago, people didn't know what that was. Like, you know, I was just like alone and depressed and suicidal and all the things. And I had nobody to to talk to. And that's why I created She Talks Health because I don't want women to ever feel like that. So I just really appreciate what you guys have done to create these platforms for people. And I, I wanted to ask you the same question, Samantha. I saw you like shaking your head like, yeah, there was no resources. You agree? Are, are there any other things you want to add? And I'd also love, you know, because this is a, for women of color specifically, like, you know, if there were resources, did you feel at all represented? No, when I first, when I was first diagnosed, Google, you know, Google. <laughs> Google oh gosh, the Google. Google articles were more my friend than anything. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I, I kind I kind of found supportive groups on Facebook, like I've stumbled upon Nancy's Nook. Um, that was kind of like the first I guess, big support group that I found. Nancy's Nook, right? That's the big Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't really see many women of color or Black women that was, you know, on Nancy's Nook and not any that were around my age group either. Um, a lot of women that are, you know, like on that Facebook group, they're older women, you know, in their 40s and up. They've got families or have tried to have families. You know, they have like different experiences than what I was going through. I was just graduating college trying to, right. figure, trying to figure out life. And, right. And- Let's speak about that, right? Because this is a big thing. We, we only want to deal with women's menstrual issues if it relates to fertility. But what about pain? 
Yeah, because my biggest thing when I graduated college was, you know, I wasn't concerned with like where I was going to get a job or like how long it was going to take. I was really trying to figure out how was I supposed to keep a job if my period is so bad. I can't come to work once or twice a month. You know, like nobody's going to really want to let you off of work that often. Like we have our cycle every month and every month. I need at least one or two days off of work. And that was like the hardest part, especially after learning about endometriosis, because when I was diagnosed, I had just started a job. I wasn't even done with the 90 days. And I had to have surgery and I was recovering during my 90 day period. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was going to get fired. Thank God I, I worked with women. So they were, you know, understanding, but had my boss been a man, you never know. I don't know if it would have, I don't know if I would have had a job after I finished recovering from surgery. Absolutely. I think that's something we don't talk about a lot. Yeah. I actually just, I just got featured in Thrive Global and um, as of today submitted the article and that was actually the last line in the article that I wrote. I think on average, it's estimated that women lose up to nine days per year of productivity at work due to menstrual cycle cramps alone, not even to mention all the other things that can come along with um, hormonal issues and menstrual issues. And that this needs to be um, not just ta- like not taboo. It needs to be so understood in the workplace that it can be a chronic debilitating illness that needs to be treated as such. Um, and I think that the work that the three of us and April Christina are doing, like, and anybody speaking about periods can propel that forward. Do you guys agree that we're like, people yeah. are starting to hear this at least? I mean, it's going to take a long time before it's recognized, right? But at least the ball, at least the ball is rolling because that's a big issue, especially because, you know, women, we're starting to hold higher positions and jobs now. We're starting to have more, mm-hmm. you know, of the workforce and Everybody doesn't have debilitating periods, but they say one in 10 women have endometriosis. That's a lot of yep. women. Yep. And a lot I, of women. That's what and, they say. So. And that's just endometriosis. That's not even PCOS. That's not even fibroids. Fibroids. That's not even the cancers of the of the womb. You know, like that's not even including all of that. Or just women who just have bad periods and they, you know, may not even have reproductive diseases. They just have bad periods. Mm-hmm. We don't have, you know, laws in place, you know, for sick leave, for things Mm -hmm. like that. You know, we have to do like FMLA, Mm -hmm. a lot of work. And that's something totally different. And that's something totally, everybody doesn't have FMLA options at their jobs. What Mm -hmm. is FMLA? Uh, Family medical leave assistance something. But you know it says family medical leave assistance. That's not... That yeah. should not even be the same thing as menstrual or yeah. women's reproductive. That's something totally different. Yeah. So basically what you do with FMLA is, um, say, for instance, you have an illness or your fam- somebody in your family has an illness, like your mom or your grandmother, where you need to take time off of work and maybe take them to the doctor's appointment or maybe you're not able to come into work that day because all of a sudden you're feeling sick. It gives you the right to call out of work without questioning why you need to be out of work, but you have to file paperwork for that. You have to have your doctor sign off of it. It's a a long process to get FMLA. Everybody doesn't offer FMLA. So we should have 
things in place in the workplace where if I'm not feeling well because of my cycle and it's nothing I can do about it, I shouldn't get penalized for not coming to work. It should be not feeling well today. I need the day off. Absolutely. Do you see any of these, you know, EndoCode, EFA, Endo Summit, Nancy's Nook, your organizations are, is anyone talking about how we can change this in the legislature? No, the only person that I know, um, I have to look up, I have to look up her Instagram to make sure I get her name right. Um, representative, you talking about, rep- is it Representative Abby? No, not who I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I know we're talking about it, but I do know like at one point somebody was looking into do laws about um, feminine products. And I mm-hmm. really think that the organizations that do the stuff that we're talking about are limited. So it's literally we have to focus on one law at a time. Yeah. One law at a time. You know, it's not so much that they're going to approve for women at the same time. Right. <laughs> so you want to, you know, break it up into it. So I, I think there are some organizations working on it. I'm just not too familiar with who. I know that in No Black, we, um, one of our goals is to look into laws, regulations, and policies to see if we can implement some things um, and to get them up and going. So, you know. Like I said, people got to start really small because they're not going to approve too much at once. I mean, well, you never know because we have a vice president now. So I'm we like, do. Madam vice president. Madam vice president. <laughs> yes, finally. Um, well, thanks for sharing that because it's a, you know, we obviously try to spread a lot of light and love on this podcast and on my platforms, but there's also like a harsh reality when it comes to endo and the limitations that we have. And we need to be talking about this more. I'm definitely down to help move this forward. It's on, it's on my list. So um, one thing I really wanted to dive into with you too is how do you think your experience was different, if, if at all, because of the color of your skin? Um, for me, I, I will say this. I live in a predominantly Black county. Um, and of course, I did not... I didn't have a family doctor that was black. Um, as you know, the gynecologist, when I said Dr. Maria Kay, she wasn't black. Uh, so that that did shift some things. Um, for me, I will say that it hasn't been as difficult for some women. Um, however, even the simple fact is like when I went to use the restroom and I told the lady that I wasn't able to make it and that I was about to pass out, I felt like I wasn't listened to. Um, right there, that was something. And I didn't even think of that until we started moving forward, talking about the differences and how you're treating, because I just thought she wasn't listening to me, not because of the color of my skin. However, like once you think back on certain things, you're starting to try to pay attention to the little things that people do to see if that correlated. Um, I will also say that speaking on a different level, as far as me living in a predominantly um, African-American county, that for me, I was okay because I had access, transportation to some of the best hospitals that were in D.C., like Georgetown, George Washington. However, in this county, we do not have um, really good hospitals. And a lot of times when you have certain zoning issues, you have certain hospitals in your area that may not be up to par that lack resources. And if you are in a location that's predominantly African-American, Um, and you have less resources or your community lacks resources and you can't get transportation there, 
well, your stuff is limitless. Um, and you are put in a little bit of a bind. So I was one of the lucky ones that had transportations, that had somebody take me, that had an advocate, um, where I have people in my family that are familiar with medical technology or just medical, um, the medical industry in general. Like my brother was able to come and be an advocate for me, um, along with two of my other friends. Everybody doesn't really have that. Uh, so I think that that does play a part as far as uh, African-American um, people uh, in general and definitely women, especially with us not knowing. It goes back to what Samantha was saying about um, why we don't teach children about certain things at early ages, um, that some students don't even have a sex ed class at all. Um, some of them are not afforded those opportunities, and if they do, they lack resources as well. So it starts at an early age. It goes into zoning. It goes into lack of resources. It goes into so many different things that it's, um, it's very difficult to pull yourself out of or to even recognize it if you're not speaking to other people in other locations about it. With Samantha being in Atlanta, we can talk about certain things in our area and see there either there's a correlation or that there's a difference. Um, and then we can kind of figure out on our own what what the reasoning is behind it. I think it's great that you brought up the zoning issues, transportation issues. This is not just about a lack of representation in the medical community, but it's also about like how do we even get access to proper healthcare, period. And then you add on top of that, that endometriosis and diagnosis is such a specialized thing. And I have a client who we suspect she has endometriosis, um, and she's a woman of color. She she went to see like the closest, best available surgeon that I could find her, and it's gonna cost her like ten thousand yeah. dollars because it's not covered by insurance for her to get a laparoscopy. It's there's so many levels of, um, I I just can't even. It's so hard to un unwind. Um, I'm really glad that you had. At, What'd you say? You don't know where it starts to unwind it. So you're like literally focusing on this issue and you're like, oh, that connects to this. But then something connects to that. And it's like, how do we really execute or really make a difference if all of these things are um, in the way of what needs to be helped? It's, it's, it's a clear correlation between a lot of different things that we go through. And it sounds like both of you have taken the route of education and getting information to people who might not have been able to find it as well as community. And I think that's really an important step, but it sounds like we also need a lot of allies in the government to help us change kind of systematic issues that are affecting all sorts of people. But this is just another slice of the pie of how this is affecting um, women of color who are dealing with menstrual cycle issues. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Samantha, did you have anything to add about how this might have affected you differently? Uh, well, for me, even though I'm from Atlanta and I live in Atlanta, during this time of my life, I was living in Valdosta going to school. So Valdosta is a predominantly white area. <laughs> um, Lowndes County is predominantly white. So, you know, outside of seeing doctors on campus, you know, we don't really expect much out of you know those those doctors um they didn't have much to offer you know with my period being bad just ibuprofen and then I would start to see local doctors and you know tell them the same thing about my period and how it's debilitating and I can't go to school I can't go to work I have like 
plots, the size of court, the size of quarters. You know, I don't know what's going on. And will it get easier as you get older? You know, try this birth control. See if it'll help regulate your period. Um, I remember once I went to the emergency room because I couldn't walk. And I had never, I've always been able to, even though I need to hunch over and walk, I was still always able to walk during my period. But this time I couldn't walk. And I went to the emergency room and the nurse swore me up and down. I was pregnant. Like there's no, and he's a man, you know, there's no way (laughs) I could have a period this debilitating that I can't walk. I must be pregnant. And I tried to explain to him, you know, every month this happens. This is like, it's normal. My period does this every month and swore that it was a pregnancy and it was not. It was my period, of course, and and wrote me a prescription for some 800 milligram ibuprofen, charged me a hundred dollar copay, and sent me on my way, like with nothing. And I left the prescription because what is ibuprofen? Like that doesn't that's nothing for me. That that's not even gonna work, Mm -hmm. you know. So I was still left with no options. Um, it got to be a little easier, I guess, as I got older because. I was paying attention more to, you know, what was going on, I guess, in the medical world when it came to women of color um, and how it was affecting me now that I had endometriosis. The first doctor that I had to do my surgery, she was an African-American woman. Um, And it was easier, I guess you can say, because we had because we're African-American women, we have experiences that we can relate to. So it was a little bit easier to talk to her about what I was going through and not made to feel like I was crazy about it. Um, But in between seeing her, I will also see another physician who worked in the office and she was a white woman and she was a lot more harsh, you know, when it came to giving me the realities about endometriosis, which I guess is okay because you kind of don't want to sugarcoat what you're walking into because it's not something to be taken lightly, mm-hmm. but it was almost like, I guess she just took the kid gloves off and it was like, <laughs> this is what it is. This is what you got to do. I don't really have a whole lot of answers for you because I don't know a lot about endometriosis, but this is what I do know. Mm-hmm. You never going to be able to get rid of it. <laughs> and it was, you know, I didn't, I guess, connect that to me being African-American or I guess different disparities because at the time I was working for Kaiser Permanente. So these are Kaiser physicians that I'm seeing and not just like, you know, different hospitals or different doctor's offices that are, that are in communities that are lacking access. But because I did experience endo, I guess, before I was diagnosed, in a predominantly white town where all I saw was, you know, were white physicians, very dismissive, you know, to my pain. It was, you just have a bad period. You don't, you know, you want to take the birth control or the medication because this is really all we have. You can try to have a baby and, you know, see if that's supposed to help, but I'm in college and just thinking about having kids. Nobody's thinking about having children when you're in college. And all I'm really thinking about is you don't have any answers for me. And I have this period every single month and now I have to live like this for at least I'm, I'm in my twenties. So at least another 
30, 40, maybe 50 years, you know, depending on when menopause is going to hit, you don't know. Right. I have to live like all these years, every single month. And all you can offer me is birth control. And I'd be pregnant or a pregnancy. Yeah. That's all you got. (laughs) And an expensive surgery to diagnose it too. So it sounds like for both of you, it's really hard to tell if it was different for you if because of the color of your skin, because there's so many layers to this. And I hear from white women too, the same story about their endometriosis diagnosis, but I've also heard from plenty of women of color, you know, even more direct feelings of just not being represented and feeling alone and feeling like there's, there's no community for me. Um, it sounds, um, it sounds like it's been a really hard road, but I know you guys are, are amazing advocates for women of color, for women over the, all over the world dealing with endometriosis. So what are some, um, I know you mentioned some resources, some companies and things. What are some things that women can do when they might be, uh, especially women of color who might be dealing with a white physician or something like this? How, how do we advocate? How, how do women advocate for themselves when they're in this type of pain? I mean, at this point, I feel like once a physician hears my period is such and such and such, and they have all these characteristics of their period and how it's not manageable and they can't live while having this period. I feel like right then and there, they should X out everything else. Like the pregnancy, I understand they have to, you know, give pregnancy tests beforehand. But once I say my period is bad, there should be no where your period is going to get. And birth control should not always be the first option, especially if that's something that you're not comfortable with. Um, because everybody isn't really comfortable with birth control. I feel like we just, do it because that's all we have and it's like well I don't have anything else the ibuprofen or any other pain medication isn't working so maybe I'll try the birth control and then most times the birth control doesn't even really help so I think even though it's hard to you know say get more than one option or talk to more than one physician um, especially when it comes to insurance and things like that it really is important to talk to more than one physician about your issues And being very open and honest about it because a lot of people don't understand that endometriosis is a whole body disease. And just because I'm having a terrible period, I shall also tell you that I'm going to the bathroom like every 10 minutes. And that's not normal either. So then maybe they could correlate while I'm having bladder issues with possible issues of the womb. And we don't, I feel like maybe because we're felt to maybe feel small in the, you know, in the patient room by physicians because they're kind of dismissive of our pain or they're trying to offer medications that they think will help, but it really won't. I feel like we don't want to offer up everything that's going on because it's like, you're not going to hear it anyway. Mm. You haven't heard everything I just said and taken and take that into account. So even though you don't want to, I feel like you have to be extremely open and honest about everything that is going on with your body that you know is not normal. I want to bring that up. I really want to highlight this. You said this, um, you said this, Lauren, you know, it took your friends being concerned about you for you to take it seriously enough to go to the hospital. 
-hmm. And we do this. I think people do this, but I think women do this. And I think we really do it about our menstrual cycle issues. And I'm going to say it real loud. If you're listening to this and you have a symptom, it is a sign from your body that something is wrong and it needs to be properly investigated. And you do not stop until you find an advocate and a practitioner that can help you. And I know that that's hard, but that is simply the truth for regardless, endometriosis, adenomyosis, PCOS, all the things like you have to, because otherwise you end up in a situation like Lauren was where she's passing out and doesn't know why. And that's what happened to me. I, I, I waited, I waited. I had all these chronic issues and I just thought, oh, that's fine. Like I'll get it's, when I get to it. Right. And then you go to the doctor and they tell you it's fine and just to medicate yourself. And so realize that there are other, you know, there, there are other options out there. Go back and listen to that, that, um, resource from Dr. Jessica Drummond. She, she gave a lot of resources in that podcast too, of like, what are the things that we do have control over? There's other things we can't, like we can't perform surgery on ourselves. We can't find a doctor that's going to do that. And sometimes it can be incredibly frustrating. There are some things that we can do to make, at least make the pain a little bit better in some cases for some women. Um, Lauren, Samantha, are there things um, other than just basically staring at your doctor, telling them, please listen to me. Um, what are some of the, the, you mentioned some products, some things that have been helpful for you. I know for, in my work, obviously I focus a lot on finding the underlying root cause of, um, um, issues that are dealing with when we're dealing with menstrual cycle issues. And you mentioned, you know, endometriosis is not, it's not a reproductive issue. It's not. It grows in, in all parts of the body. It's a, it's, we're finding it's an inflammatory and immune issue. And, and a lot of people, a lot of doctors are coming out and saying it's very similar to an autoimmune disease. So with that, we know that there are a lot of triggers, heavy metals, stealth infections, genetics, stress, leaky gut. Like there's so many things that we can un a layer here. So what are some of the things that you two have done um, to to help to help some of the pain and, and, and suffering that you've been through for so long? Um, I would say, uh, and I'm going to go back a little bit in reference to African-American uh, women, we tend to have this food called soul food. And we love it. We love it. Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. We love eating soul food. But I'm here to tell you that soul food is not good for you. You are going to have to alter it, to change it, to add to it, and to take some stuff out. And I know that, you know, we probably do this once or twice a year where we do eat unhealthy. We call it our cheat days, whatever the case may be. But understand that this food that we eat, whether it's macaroni and cheese, the greens, um, the fried chicken, all of that that we're eating that's so, so good it's actually causing us to have triggers. Fried foods cause us to have trigger. I've realized that dairy is not, not, not my friend. My Dairy is not my friend, y'all. Dairy hates me, but I still love dairy. Um, Why does dairy have to have it out for us is what dairy, I'm saying. Dairy milkshake, though. I'm still going to have a milkshake. But and dairy I, has, dairy is my number one for people with painful periods. That's my number one. Even before gluten, which is pretty always the number one, dairy and dairy painful has periods. Dairy has so you want to make sure you take that out your diet. Or if you're going to realize that dairy isn't good, moderate it. Uh, just make sure that you're tracking what you're eating. The red meat, that's not always good for us. It's not good for us at all, to be quite honest. But if you're going to eat it, 
do it in moderation. You just have to figure out when to do certain things. So for me in particular, my cycle gets ready to come on within the next two weeks. I know that my cycle is coming on. So I want to eat probably healthy. Um, probably I would say like 10 days right before my cycle. I want to start eating um, spaghetti squash. I want to start, I do this thing where I grind, grind up um, pecans really finely and I cook it as if it was turkey meat. And I put it on my spaghetti squash and I got spaghetti. Um, and, you know, that's just something that you have to make sure that you get creative with because if you start if you start changing your food, you'll start feeling totally different. You'll realize that there are certain pains. There's pains that are trigger pain, and then there's pains that are just going to happen naturally. But if you minimize it, at least you'll have that regular pain that you deal with versus all of the other pain. Um, and to, just to make sure that you're paying attention to your diet. I'm also uh, a symptom of endometriosis is random allergies. So now I'm allergic to lemon lime, grapefruit, mangoes, pineapples, kiwis. Um, mm-hmm. That might be it, I think. So I'm allergic to, allergic to all of those fruits, all of the fruits that have vitamin C, all of the things that I'm supposed to have. And I can't eat orange. I can eat oranges, but I can't drink orange juice. Um, I'm also allergic to tomato paste. So that's no more pizza. That's no more spaghetti. Um, so it's just like you just have to kind of pay attention to what's going on so you can track it. You have to be creative. You have to do research. You have to look up the foods that are good for you. A lot of spinach, a lot of kale with the vitamin K in it. It's really, really good for you. Um, just because you're a vegan does not mean it's going to be easy. Edamame is soy. That's a vegetable. But soy is terrible for us. Chickpeas, not a good look for some people. So you just have to make sure that you track what you're good with and make sure that you um, modify it and have it in moderation. If you're going to eat, uh, you know, we can't stop you. But at least try to moderate it so that you won't be in excruciating pain. Oh, I love it. You are speaking my language now, Lauren. Um, I want to give everyone a resource for soul food. This is one of my favorites. It's called Down South Paleo, Delectable Southern Recipes Adapted for Gluten-Free and Paleo Eaters. It's a cookbook by Jennifer Robbins. I'll try to drop that link into the show notes for you guys. Um, that's one of my favorites for anyone um, who loves their soul food, but is trying to be healthier. And you're right. Um, I mean, I could talk about this for a whole extra hour. I mean, I just had an endo warrior in our um, Empower Her 12-week program who just messaged um, Kylene and I. I'm actually at Kylene's house. And she said, you guys have helped me so much. I used to have only bad days and now I have good days. And I didn't even know that was possible. And we modified her her diet and we modified, we, we uncovered some of her gut issues. Endometriosis being um, an inflammatory-based disease, that means that we have to look at the gut. If you have food sensitivities, they don't have to be there forever. They change and shift. Like I have a sensitivity right now to chickpeas and to apples, um, but before it was like potatoes and other random things. So I think you're so spot on by identifying, you know, there's these kind of blanket terms that we talk about with inflammatory foods, like gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, right? Things that are fried. Um, sometimes for some people, red meat or um, certain meats. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's, so it's interesting that, you know, there's all these overarching things and then there's individual things. I love that you brought up both, Lauren. That's awesome. Definitely congrats. Thank you for bringing that up. 
Samantha, do you want to speak? I can't believe you're allergic to all that stuff. And now I'm sitting here going back in my mind, like, I thought about this maybe like a couple of weeks ago. And I said to myself, am I developing a food allergy? Because I feel like I am. And now I need to look into that more. Not yeah. I did not know that endo causes food allergies. That's crazy. Um, well, you know, you have to look at like, okay, the food, food allergy and food sensitivity, very different. Okay. So food sensitivity, they, they, it can happen because our body is so overwhelmed with stress. And so endo is such an inflammatory thing. There's like this p- constant process of inflammation happening in the body. So I call it like the stress bucket and then it has to spill somewhere. So it ends up showing up somewhere. Maybe it's your food. But it is a lot of times we can do a lot of work on the gut and we can bring it back. So I do want to like leave listeners with that, that just because we have these sensitivities or allergies now doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to be there forever. Sometimes they are like gluten and dairy, never going to be my friend, I don't think. But um, the other thing is I've been able to heal from. It just took time and patience and working with the right practitioner, which now is, of course, myself, but um, working with that so that I could find out how to heal. Um, so there, there is some hope on that end. Um, Samantha, sorry, you were you were saying like thinking back now yeah. about different foods are there any other like resources things that you've tried that have really helped products that you guys want to mention to kind of give some women some hope before we uh, close out the podcast today um i juice a lot (laughs) i think that's really helped um juicing fruits and vegetables especially celery juice celery juice first thing in the morning your body really will love you for it um taking out red meat has really helped taking out dairy, even though I really do miss cheese um, and substituting, you know, like different milks. You know, I do almond milk or I do coconut milk. milk. Um, Sometimes I do oat milk or hemp milk, just depending on if I feel a little fancy, I guess. Um, (laughs) I love oat milk so much. (laughs) Now, my problem is beans because beans have soy in them. And And that's my biggest, that's my biggest problem because I love beans. So I do my best to eat those in moderation. Um, I'm trying to be vegan, I guess you can say, but because because I'm so small, like I lost 45 pounds because of me having a 90 day period and I lost it in a really rapid rate. So I eat meat ever so often just to kind of help me with my weight gain. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't eat red meat, but I will eat turkey sometimes or I'll eat mostly seafood. Like I try to get freshwater um, fish. That helps a lot. Um, I love that. I do. I like. Um, I like Ovira as far as products. It's like I call it. I call it like a a, a mini heating pad. It's not a heating pad. It's like elect electrolyte things you put on your. Yeah, abdomen. I've seen that a lot. Ovira, right? Yeah, you put it on your abdomen when you're having your cycle, and it'll deliver these shocks to your um to your abdomen. And it'll help soothe the cramping. I really like that. Um, and you can wear it out if you have to be out and about on your period. And, you know, nobody will ever know that you have it on. You can hide it with your clothes. I like Semaine um, supplements. You take those during the week of your period. And those um, herbal, I take a lot of herbal items. So that helps a lot with trying to keep my wound detox because you know a lot of people don't realize your period is really just a detox but it's detoxing what you've eaten is detoxing what you've drank you know within that time frame and our bodies takes a long time to break down food so i figure if i you know detox with herbal supplements kind of it'll help 
keep the womb clean. It'll help, you know, keep the ovaries and the fallopian tubes as flushed out as much as I can with having endometriosis, especially because I'm not on any birth controls. Um, yeah, I love that. Can I jump in there with yeah. a thought on that part? Mm-hmm. So something that a lot of women don't realize that it's taken me a long time to find this research, but if you look at your month in four weeks, the first two being about lowering inflammation so that your brain can properly communicate with your ovaries, right? So your brain is what trips up all your hormones to talk to your ovaries. So if that process is inflamed in and of itself, that can be painful, right? Like those ovarian cysts that burst and rupture during the mid cycle, then in the second half, well, you're so right, like jumping right into that detoxing. Um, a lot of women, especially women with endo, have problems with estrogen mm-hmm. dominance. And we can grab things with like sulforaphane, like, you know, um, cruciferous vegetables are great with that. Anything that's a good detoxer can sometimes support, especially towards that second half. So I love that you guys are talking about, you know, what do you do in the days leading up to your cycle? Um, and something else that I found really helpful is helping the whole month um, because it is like, it's not just your period. Your period's a result of your ovulation experience. So, and the period you're having now is, has been not predetermined, but influenced by what you've been doing for the past 100 days. So that means that if you were under a lot of stress or you were eating a lot of inflammatory foods, it's going to be that much harder for your body to detox and have a good period now. So I love that you guys are doing these things like kind of all the time. And then you have your your, your toolkit almost of things you do, you know, right before. That's so powerful. That's really what it is. We have yeah. to, because you have to manage it. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, what I've noticed in, well, what I've noticed prior to um, getting to this point is a lot of people in support groups seemed very depressed. They seemed upset. Um, they seem very hopeless, like they didn't want to do certain things and they complained a lot. Well, the thing is, you know, we're still alive um, and we have to live. And I think the best thing we can do is try to figure out a way that we can live comfortably. Um, I know that we have five days out of a week that may be terrible or five, five days out of a week, five days out of a month that may be terrible. But the truth of the matter is that's five days out of 30 or 31. We have to make it work somehow. So if that means cutting back on certain foods, if that means increasing certain foods, adding ginger, turmeric, almond milk, um, you know, adding mint to your diet, adding more water to your diet. I, I genuinely hate water. I'm not going to lie. I don't like the taste of it because it has no taste. But what I have to do is add mint, add cucumber. When I wasn't allergic, I added lemon and lime. Yeah, get that spa water you know, so going. We have to we have to come up with some type of tools to get us to a point where we're comfortable. Um, if for some people working out is great, do that. Some people won't work out. Some people feel comfortable doing yoga. Whatever you want to do to get your meditation, to relax yourself, um, to have positive energy so that you can have a successful month, you have to do that. Because we always talk about how stress is an ad. Um, to what's going on. If your job mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. stressful, we might need you to find a new job. Um, and and right. honestly, if you didn't have endometriosis and your job is stressful, you should find a new job. That's just how it is because mm-hmm. stress is a lot That's of different right. things as well. Um, and we have products that we use, like Samantha says, C-Main. I love them. Um, Juna, that's a CBD company. Uh, you have Kush Queen, another CBD company. Um, you have October Lotus, which is a company that specializes 
and um, teas and also Yoni stems, um, Yoni stems, and also um, just making sure that your body is detoxing. We also have to look into the mm -hmm. fact that endometriosis is not just an internal thing. It also may affect your hair. You may have hair loss. You may have more acne than some people. So you need to look at companies or um, groups such as Red Rose or Akinis LLC who specialize in skincare products. Um, so there's a lot of different organizations or businesses out here that are actually created by women with endometriosis or a chronic illness. Um, so we're starting to see Absolutely. that we're not the only ones coming up with something. You know, we may be better off just talking and sharing our story and talking and having discussion about it, but we have Red Rose or October Lotus or Facial Harmony. They're focused on creating products that help people that suffer with chronic illnesses or that suffer with endometriosis. Um, so I think it's very beneficial when we look at the whole picture. I think Samantha said this early on in reference to talking to your doctor, telling the whole story. Um, for me, though, the thing is, sometimes we don't know the whole story. So it's important to do research on your body. Like if you have pimples on your chin, that means you have a situation going on somewhere. If you have pimples on your forehead, you have a situation going on somewhere. So if you look online at all of, you know, basically your body is telling you little things based off your face. Uh, you just have to do the research and learn. Um, and we also have to pay attention. Like look at your face in the morning in the mirror. Take time to look at your body. Um, I realized in the summertime that when I had um, shorts on that I had a lot more bruises on my inner thighs than I normally would. And I, I never noticed that. And I end up asking a endo group that we have. It's called Endo Hood. I, you know, I said, does anybody have this? And at least 15 people said me. It's like, oh, this has something mm. to do with endo. And you would never know. Yes. And I think that that's what you just said. Like take time to notice, look at your body, see what's coming up. That's so important because as much as online is helpful and that's a great place to start, every woman is so different, which is why I'm such, if you can afford it, like I always say like, you know, test, don't guess, you know, do the research on your own. And then if you need, if you get stuck, like if you take all these like tips and then you can still get stuck, work with somebody who can like help you piece all of it together because it is really overwhelming sometimes, you know, maybe that's not like financially possible, which is why we're going to drop all the links to all these products and all these different communities here so that you guys can continue to get free resources because this is, it is like a lifelong journey too. So I, I think that, you know, looking at the whole self, it's really overwhelming at first, but just know you have, you have the time to, to look at all of it. So I really appreciate you bringing up the skin issues and all these rant, seemingly random symptoms, right? That, that we think are different. All usually you never, you would never know that they're connected. And I feel um, that in this year alone, I have <laughs> tracked down some new things. And I think, I think we should also look into that, realizing that with age, um, your body will do some other things that you're really not used to. You know, me being allergic mm -hmm. to those things that I mentioned, that's not something that I've experienced my entire life. It was like a gradual um change it was just pineapples at one time then it went from pineapples to orange juice and then it went from like one thing to 15 things and i'm like oh this oh okay well this is what's going to happen so i'm just going to have to adjust to it um and the severity of the allergies has changed it went from you know my lips just swelling or my tongue itching to my throat closing 
So like you just have to make sure that you're paying attention to what's going on in your body, on your body. Um, another thing that I noticed, which was really interesting, um, and this is why I said dairy and me are not friends, but I still I still partake in dairy. Um, because I had a moment where I had to really track it take it should take you three months to track things. Anytime it has anything to do with your cycle, I realized on the third month that my cycle um, and dairy would get me nauseous. And then I would have these intense migraines and then I would be so nauseous that I would throw up. So, so nauseous. Um, and it literally took me three months to realize that it was the dairy that was causing that. Um, I never would have figured it out if I didn't track it or pay attention to what I was doing. Um, and I want to add lastly, that it's just really, really important for you to, um, talk to other people. You know, because we all just said dairy isn't good. I never even asked anybody. <laughs> and if I would have asked, I probably would have figured it out much sooner. You know, so if we just share our stories with each other, if we just ask questions, if we just, you know, say, hey, I, I have a quick question about X, Y, and Z. What are your thoughts? What's your experience? Maybe we can kind of get an answer sooner than just waiting three months until you get to your next cycle to figure out if something is going on. I love what you just said because something in there reminded me of something I say often, which is that health is not linear. And I've been on my healing journey for 15 years. I've had SIBO. I've had histamine issues. I've had my mouth swell up and close. I've had ovarian cysts burst. I've had Hashimoto's. I've had like all the things, right? And But it didn't all happen at once. And I know that's not what women want to hear, but it's true. Sometimes we get four steps forward, one step back, and new things pop up. And it's about having community and resources like Lauren and like Samantha and like the companies they represent to help us through those times so we can pool ideas and move forward. So I just love, I love everything you guys have been saying in this kind of last moments of what can women do? What do we actually have control over? Um, thank you guys so much for sharing all these amazing tips and I'll definitely drop as many links into the show notes as I possibly can. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And is so I know you guys, you guys both have your own organizations, but you also have VDOT. So tell us about these different um, companies that you work in that you're founders of, how people can find them and, um, and utilize the services that you're offering. So the VDOT podcast, it features myself, Lauren, and April. Um, we will be discussing all things of the vagina. <laughs> all things. <laughs> not even, you know, not even just endometriosis related, but, you know, we'll talk about fertility issues. We'll talk about how to deal with endometriosis or period issues or women's health issues when it comes to relationships and sex or, you know, just different taboo things that we don't talk about when it comes to women's health um, issues and just being very vulnerable and open and honest about the experiences that we have because there are many women out here who share the same experiences. Um, that we have. So we will be, you know, getting ready to launch the VDOT next month with our first episode. Excited. Oh my gosh. Okay. And this is being, we recorded this on November 10th and it will come out in December. So actually when this airs, hopefully your first podcast will be out. So how can people find VDOT? 
You can follow us. You can follow us individually, first off, on um, social media platforms. My Instagram is at underscore Samantha Denae, D-E-N-A-E underscore. Um, April's is, since she's not here, it's at I'm April Christina. Those are both of our Instagram handles. And Lauren, I'll let you um, give you yours. You can follow me at I am Lauren Renee. Um, you can follow Endo Black at Endo underscore Black. Um, also, April has her organization at Endo Brunch, I believe it is on Instagram. And then our mm-hmm. um, podcast Instagram is the B dot underscore. Awesome. We'll drop all of those social handles into the show notes too. So you guys can find these incredible ladies and keep following them and getting all the support. I can't wait for the VDOT podcast to come out. I'm definitely going to be a subscriber. I love talking about all things that have to do with the vagina and things that people don't want to talk about, but guess what? Half the population is women. So (laughs) you need to talk about these things. Awesome. Well, thank you ladies so much for being here and spending an hour with me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. And this is Sophie Shepard, the founder of She Talks Health and the She Talks Health podcast. I'm also the co-founder of the Empower Her 12-Week Gut Hormone Restoration Program. And it has been my pleasure to serve you in this way on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you on the next one. I hope this episode got you one step closer to achieving your optimal health. If you liked this episode, please spend a few seconds to rate it so more women can find this resource. Be sure to tune in for more women's health support next week on the She Talks Health podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at She Talks Health. I have an open door DM policy. No question is stupid and I'm always here for you.